Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. A lot of people consider that the second greatest radio team in Minnesota history. Mackey and Judd. Behind <laughs> Joe and Pat. <laughs> <laughs> On 1500 ESPN. Putting fake money where their big mouths are. Money talks, then a game that I pick. Believe me, it's a winner. What I know could get you rich, because all I pick is winners. Money talks. Mackie and Judd are picking games for this weekend against the spread. Are they pros or Joes? Let's find out. It's our pros or Joes segment, mostly mostly Joes. Although, all three of us are now above 500 on the season. It's tight. Todd Furman's help is rubbing off on us here. Uh, Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Dave Harrigan with the first five and O week of the season. Let's give it up for Dave Harrigan yeah, yeah. from the bottom great of the job. standings. Great job, terrible start, but great job. Five and O last week to jump to 26, 23 and one. I went four and one to jump to 27, 22 and one, and Judd went three and two to go 29, 20 and one. How do you uh, know the league? Yeah, Todd. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you do a lot of radio around the country. It's pretty tough to find a trio making as much hypothetical money as these three right now. You know, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. The good thing is that maybe some of my influence is rubbing off. At the same time, if I was a college football or college basketball coach, but slow learners, I probably would have lost my job already. <laughs> uh, are you, like, staying up late at night to watch some of these directional schools? And are you, are you gambling on, like, Illinois State and South Carolina? Uh, when it comes to uh, some of the college basketball games that take place early in the year, unfortunately, I don't have whether we call it the youthful exuberance that I once did and or the hours of the day slash manpower. Uh, I won't start shifting gears to college hoops until probably uh, you know mid-December once college football kind of winds down and then really start to pay attention during the conference portion of the schedule. Mm-hmm. But in regards to all this midweek action that we have, uh, I do watch a lot of those games and cringe, much like the fans that come out in droves. And if by droves, I mean the hundreds rather than the thousands that were in attendance for Ball State Buffalo yesterday. <laughs> so when, when the uh, when the schedule uh, came out in the spring, I'm sure, Todd, that you looked at Rams-Vikings and thought to yourself, there is a game. There's going to be one of the defining games of the entire year. Rams-Vikings is going to be huge, right? You know what? It's exactly what I thought. I mean, when I went through everything, figured out that was going to be a massive game for playoff implications and trying to figure out who could be vying for home field advantage. So it is a credit to uh, both quarterbacks, Jared Goff and Case Keenum, how they've been able to resurrect their careers when they aren't shackled by Jeff Fisher's constraints. Yeah. Uh, real quick, before we jump into our five games, uh, what would you say, you know, just I don't know if it would be a consensus with uh, with the Sharks in Vegas or just a general 
top five power ranking of teams according to uh, the smart people in Vegas in the NFL right now? Uh, right now, you're looking at a trio of teams that, depending on who you talk to, have kind of separated themselves from everybody else. And I don't think this will come as a surprise. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Philadelphia Eagles, and the New England Patriots. And that's when you get into that second tier, and it's anyone's guess as to who is right there. The Saints probably the closest team to that top trio. Um, and I think this will surprise folks that Atlanta still does power rate better than the likes of the Vikings and Rams. The Rams, a team that professional bettors haven't been running to try and gravitate towards, although you did see some pro money come in on them last week. Um, but those four teams kind of a cut above everybody else before you get into the Kansas Cities of the world, the Vikings, the Rams, etc. All right, and so uh, we'll keep, keep that in mind as we pick our five games here, ending with Vikings and Rams. Todd Furman, uh, Bet the Board podcast, helps us every week. New England, Judd goes first because he's out in front, and then I'll go and then Dave. New England, seven-point favorites over Oakland. That's a game uh, neutral site in Mexico. Mexico. Yep. Uh, all right. The research, Todd, as you know, n- never ends for me. I know the, the the Raiders are coming off a bye. The Raiders have a very good passing game. The Patriots, I think, win this game outright, but but they rank 31st in the National Football League in pass defense. They're giving up 7.8 yards per attempt. All this, to me, equals a New England victory but by fewer than a touchdown, so I am going to take Oakland in this game. Yeah, I'm I'm with Judd on this one. I feel like, I don't know, sometimes these weird like travel situations, and New England's defense has been better, it feels like, lately, but still gives up a ton of yardage. So I'm going to say uh, Oakland coming off a bye. That's too many points. I will, uh, I'll take the points there in Oakland, Dave. Very good reasoning. I agree with you, but for a different reason. I don't trust Gronk in Mexico. It's that simple. <laughs> Think he's going AWOL? I'm not saying he's going AWOL, but I'm Fair saying right. maybe a little bit too much tequila Saturday night. Maybe to Carlos and Charlie's. Yes. yes. Okay. You know, let, let's hope that Gronk understands that altitude does affect your tolerance. So if there's a lot of drinking taking place, whether it was in Denver after uh, the big win last Sunday or Mexico City, you know, that tolerance that maybe it's two and a half bottles of tequila ticks down to about two. Yeah. This game, guys, has been interesting because the biggest move you've seen here is actually on the total. This over-under opened at 50, and it's out to 55. That's as much professional money as it is the public seeing these two high-powered offenses, trying to figure out where the stops are going to come from. Uh, and you guys have made a compelling case, and professional money agrees with you. This number gets towards a touchdown. This may be too many points. I'm not sure where Oakland gets the stops. Uh, to try and keep this game inside the number. But at the same time, when you're laying this kind of lumber on a neutral field, uh, New England playing its second game on the road in as many weeks with Oakland playing for their playoff lives, you will see a little bit of professional money come in on the dog plus seven. All right, Philadelphia on the road in Dallas as a four-and-a-half-point favorite, Judd. So uh, Dallas played the Falcons last week, and I went Falcons in that game uh, based largely on the fact that Zeke was not going to play. But now Dallas is at home. Dallas gave up eight sacks last week, an embarrassing performance. So I think that there is a very good chance the Eagles win this game, but I think it's close, so I am going to take Dallas. So, yeah, my first instinct was Dallas in this game, but I'm going Philadelphia because Tyron Smith is out. Sean Lee hasn't practiced this week, and Zeke Elliott's out. So that that Dallas team you saw against the Falcons, it's pretty much the same Dallas team with all the, the key injuries there. And uh, I think I think Philadelphia is a better team just straight up when Dallas is healthy, and Dallas is without very much uh, you know key core pieces to their team. So I'm going to go Philadelphia to cover here, Dave. Kind of with you here, Phil. This just feels like a game where Philadelphia puts their boot down on the throat of the rest of the division. Uh, you mentioned the injuries, and Philly is just the better team. I think when they're both healthy this year, so uh, the four and a half isn't quite enough to sway me from that. Todd. 
This game, guys, very interesting. When you look at the number here, had everybody been out there for Dallas, we'd be talking about a pick a few short weeks ago. Number opened at three on the heels of Dallas's performance or lack thereof last Sunday against Atlanta. With those cluster injuries that you had, we knew Zeke wasn't going to be available. Sean Lee, Tyron Smith, this number has trended towards four and a half. You're going to see professional money at some point coming on Dallas. For bookmakers, they hope it comes in sooner rather than later. I've spoken to folks both here in the desert and the offshore world. This will be the single largest regular season decision to date that sports books will have because nine out of every ten tickets coming in on Philadelphia. Wow. Every parlay known to man will be tied to the Eagles as well. So let's just say lights may flicker out here in the desert <laughs> if Philadelphia wins this game by a touchdown. Wow, interesting. Uh, New That's Orleans good. at home as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Washington. Kitchen table research tells me that the Saints didn't even lay this many points at home when they played Tampa Bay and Chicago in the last two home games. Now, I went against the Saints last week uh, against the Bills and Buffalo, and I was sorry for that, but this is a lot of points. Washington's uh, defense, I think, is suspect. Their offense is pretty good. So, once again, I think this is a, a game that the Saints win, but I'm going to go Washington. So, last week, I told you that the, the game that jumped out, that Buffalo Saints game, why are the Saints multiple-point road favorites against a team with an above 500 record? They're traveling. It was one of those games where, like, it screamed Buffalo, so I went New Orleans. And there's, I think, like, once every two or three weeks you get a game like that. Now I think we need to pump the brakes a little on New Orleans here. That's too many points. I'm going to go Washington. Hmm. This seems like an opportunity to pick up a game. I'm not sure I'm convinced, but what the hell? Saints at home roll over the Washingtons. Okay. You guys have come a long way in your handicapping, trying to read the tea leaves, figure out what a lot of these numbers tell you. And Washington will indeed be the side of professional betters in this particular spot. Uh, you look at the Saints and what they've been able to accomplish, winners of seven straight, covering all seven in the process. If you believe that ultimately a market, as it normally does in the NFL, becomes efficient, you're going to have to continue laying a price or premium uh, if you want to back New Orleans. It was just a few short weeks ago, as you mentioned, that they only laid seven and a half to the Bears. They were seven-point favorites that got bet down against Tampa. This appears to be a big price tag with a Washington offensive line getting healthy. Kirk Cousins will be the best passer they face. The Saints defense over the last four weeks has held the opposing passing attacks to 150 yards or less, but they feasted on the likes of Tyrod Taylor, Jameis Winston, Mitchell Trubisky, Brett Hundley. Kirk Cousins does enough to get Washington a cover. Uh, Seattle at home, three-point favorites over Atlanta, Judd. The flow of information for me is constant, gentlemen. <laughs> Richard Sherman's out, and so people are going to say, oh, my gosh, Richard a, there, Sherman is a, out. There's a pill for that, I think. Earl Thomas is expected to play. Now, here's where, here's where, Todd, I'm sure that you will agree with me, the important stuff comes in. Seattle has not been favored by this few points at home since Russell Wilson's rookie season. Seattle's playing Atlanta, but they're not playing 2016 Atlanta. They're playing this year's Atlanta, which I'm not sold on completely. That's a long way of getting to the fact that I am going to take the Seahawks in this game. Um, so Todd kind of tipped it earlier on when he said that a lot of the smart people in Vegas have the Falcons maybe higher up in uh, power rankings than than uh, than the Joes do. And so that would lead me to believe that this is much more of an evenly matched game and the Seattle gets the three because it's a, it's a home game. I think Seattle's better, and I think Atlanta maybe has some overinflated value after beating up on a depleted Dallas team. Like, they, no Tyron Smith, no Sean Lee, no Zeke Elliott. Like, of course, you're going to win that game. And so I'm going to go Seattle, but this is a really tough game to pick, Dave. It is tough because both teams have shown they can look really, really good. 
and both have shown this year they can look really, really bad and leg, lay eggs at home or on the road. But if I had to say, I'd say Seattle's still probably the better team, maybe, but without Sherman, maybe not. But uh, I'm going to take the home team because that's where I feel more comfortable. All right. This game is very interesting because you have two different schools of thought based on where some of these guys have uh, both of these teams power rated. So this number opened at three. You saw a trend down towards two and a half. Number has since stabilized back at a full field goal. You mentioned the injuries, and of course Seattle's going to have to figure out its new defensive identity without Richard Sherman. Atlanta, definitely not the same offensive juggernaut we saw in 2016, and you fully expect Devontae Freeman may not be available, dealing with some concussion protocol there as well. Playoff revenge working in Seattle's favor. And oh, by the way, should the Rams end up losing to the Vikings on Sunday, this changes the dynamic quite a bit for Seattle with a chance to move into a flat-footed tie in the division. So for me, I'll make a slight case for Seattle, but you will have professional money on both sides in this particular matchup. Uh, So, Judd, you and I are in lockstep on all but one game here so far this week. Vikings and Rams, the last game on our schedule. Uh, Minnesota, minus 2.5, so 2.5-point favorite over Los Angeles. Judd? Uh, The Vikings have covered uh, four consecutive games. I have been on a big roll when it comes to this team, and I— since they're at home, I'm not going to go away from that. I am going to take the Vikings in what will be an extremely tight game, or should be a tight game. My only logic on this, because I think this is a really hard game to read, and Case Keenum's a hard quarterback to read, too. According to the—I did some research, too. According to the Las Vegas Sun, 90% of betting tickets are on the Rams for this game. Oh, I, I saw that, it. too. Oh, you, oh, okay. oh, yeah, my research. I just didn't wow, bring that okay. up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to run away from the public, and I'm going to go Minnesota on this one. Dave? Yeah, I did my research as well, all three of us. I was uh, texting with a source last night who said the Minnesota Vikings are absolutely the uh, club to back in this one, despite what, the Rams' last four games, they've won by 26 points uh, is the average. <sighs> Whatever. Give me the home team. Purple going to win this one. They're going to cover that two and a half. Todd? That- that source sounds like they're pretty in tune with what's going on in this game because that is exactly the case. <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings are the side of the professionals this weekend. Uh, you look at the Rams being a little bit overvalued in the betting market. I was as shocked as anybody to see this price open up under a field goal. But a lot of those trends you guys laid out indicate that books n- knew that they didn't have to make Minnesota a full field goal favorite to get adequate public support from the Rams. You look at what Minnesota has been able to do in home games, and we've talked about it at great length. Outstanding from a point spread perspective. 17-5 and five against the number of the last 22 games they've played at home. Their last 42 games overall, if you bet the Vikings blindly, you've been able to cash tickets at a tune of 29-13. and 13. Minnesota's defense makes a difference in this matchup. Jared Goff will find it tough to move the football through the air. It's the Vikings gaining the inside track to the two-seed in the NFC, heading into that Thanksgiving showdown against their division rivals, the Detroit Lions. Awesome. There hey, Todd, uh, what can people find if they haven't dabbled in the Bet the Board podcast and uh, your other platforms? Every Monday and Thursday, we offer up our take on the NFL, recapping the week that was. We had a great interview with the president of the American Gaming Association earlier this week as well, talking about the current state of legalization and how he sees some of those things unfolding as we wrap up 2017 and look towards 2018. Thursday podcast built around the biggest games of the weekend. And for some of the college football enthusiasts and all of us, as the season winds down, every Wednesday you can get our take there on some of the biggest games in the college football landscape and figure out how we see the college football playoff playing itself out over the next two weeks of the regular season. Awesome. Great stuff. We Thanks, love Todd. it. See you. Uh, probably see you in a couple weeks. We'll, we'll figure out the holiday stuff here. Uh, but uh, looking forward to a good weekend of games. Bye, Todd. 
Always a pleasure, guys. Enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday. All right. Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Vegas He's, uh, been loves at Caesars the Rams. for a number of years. Vegas loves the Rams, and that's good for us. Yep. Uh, let's come back. We can talk more Vikings. Judd's keys to a Vikings win later on this hour. And the superstar Mike Morris will hang out with us as he does on Mondays and Fridays in the noon. Judd will be serving out a punishment later on on the show, and it's a game show Friday. Stick around. Let's get back. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. I don't want this to be about me. You know, it's about us. We're sitting in a good position right now, uh, pushing for playoffs, hopefully home field advantage or something like that. So, you know, we can't take the attention away from that. Uh, we're playing great football and, and uh, pray that we can continue to just keep getting better. Whoever's in there, our, our goal is to, you know, push each other. And Casey's in there and I'm going to do everything I can to push him. Whether it's being a second pair of eyes for him on the sideline or in the film room, or even on the practice field. Um, you know, that's what I want to do because it's, at the end of the day, it's about making this team better. And if we're having, solid quarterback play from that position, then obviously uh, the team's doing something well. Teddy Bridgewater, it is pretty amazing how just non-controversial this quarterback conundrum is. I think with with most teams, there'd be a much more awkwardness. You have maybe a young guy trying to take an old veteran spot or... But I really do buy into the fact that Bridgewater would be content if he sat behind a winning Case Keenum and Vikings team all year. Like, Mm -hmm. that's here's my question to you. If Teddy Bridgewater didn't play a snap this year, do yeah. you think he'd be mad about that? Because I, I, I don't think he would be. No, I don't think he'd be mad. I think everybody would like to sort of find out where he is right now as far as as him. Is he going to be a viable option for uh, 2018? But no, I don't think he, he'd be mad. What's so weird about this entire thing, though, is it's not a controversy. It's just not. Yeah, It's a quarterback choice. And... And if the Vikings are saying internally that they that they have some serious doubts about how far Keenum can take them when the games get tougher, I get that completely. But we're so inclined here, and we're so used to controversies. We're and and we're so used to controversies driven by the fact that you're choosing from essentially QB garbage. That you're you know should Tavares play, and if Tavares plays, can Tavares improve, or should or should we go to Holcomb, this is a, a situation where your offense works, your quarterbacks have worked. So, part of the part of the issue with this entire discussion and the problem has become, we are not used to nor wired towards where this has gone, which is a choice. Which is, and the only thing that I completely get, if, if you're the Vikings, is part of that also revolves around. We have nobody signed for next year. Mm-hmm. And so part of the discussion has to be right or wrong. It has to be based on where do we think we're going to go? Because I will say this. To me, Keenum taking you into into the playoffs, if that's the case, still does not make it palatable to sign him to a multi-year extension that's going to pay, pay him a lot. Because I think ultimately we've all read that book and we know how that book mm-hmm. ends. How is Case Keenum any different than Gus Ferrat, two thousand eight? Is he? <laughs> in my opinion, this is a better overall team in, around him. In my opinion, he's not because of this. If you had given, uh, if you had given Ferrat this team, I think it's about the same. I yeah, really don't like, think. I really don't think. Is going to crash the car? They want. They went ten and six. I, they won the division. Phil, I don't think it's substantially different. I really don't. It might now. Now Keenum might be. 
better to a certain degree. But if you're asking me, between the two of them, would, would I have said, do I want them to be my quarterback for the next two years after? The answer is no. And that's and that's kind of the next point, which is I don't remember anybody in 2008 clamoring for, like, well, you know, Gus Farad is, this is a, he's reached a new level of his career. And I think everyone kind of accepted Gus Farad is managing the games. This is a really good run stopping defense. They've got Adrian Peterson, who's carrying the ball 300 times. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit of a different era there, even just nine years ago in the NFL. And Gus was a few years older. Gus, well, Gus was actually in his like mid 30s. So, so there, it's a little apples to oranges. But as far as their performance goes, um, yeah, Gus just kind of didn't crash it. Probably had a few more train wreck performances. I think Case Keenum is taking advantage of amazing circumstances. He should not apologize for it, but it should be taken into consideration when, when clinging to the potential of removing him from the vehicle. Like it's Gus to me, as, as I recall, two thousand eight. Gus to me didn't look flustered. Tavares always did. Gus threw a Gus, bunch of picks. He threw fifteen picks in eleven games too. I. I didn't know he threw that many picks. I but, mis- I misremembered that. But the thing, w- but the thing in both cases is, did you look? Did you look, or do you look at either quarterback and say that's my guy? And my answer is no. I don't. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And to me, what the Vikings are faced with right now, when when it comes to Case, and if he's the guy, he's the guy. But what they are faced with is very much Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Jets. Which is you get done with the season and then everyone says, well, he played great. So you then therefore have to give him three years and X amount. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Spielman in this case would say, well, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay this guy like a starter because eventually he's not going to be one. Yeah. I think that there's really nobody right now on the roster that I would give a long term commitment to. The only guy that I would consider it is Teddy Bridgewater if he came in and looked really really good over the next let's say he comes in against Detroit or something and it's like no rust which I think is going to be yeah that's that's he's going to have rust it's been two years but if he were to play really well for like six games and then they won a couple playoff games or something and NFC championship game then that changes the then Teddy Bridgewater free agent lock him up long-term extension but my best guess is you go either heavy incentive laden on Bridgewater Mm-hmm. And and he you know he'd probably want that too he'd probably want maybe like a one year deal and let's just kind of a make good thing let's let's see if you still have it and if you do it's it's worst case scenario it's a franchise tag after 2018 or it's a multi year deal with the Vikings or somebody else the only the only wild card here though Phil is is if you get a team that comes along or two and says you know what Teddy we we buy you right now and that's the problem. And that's that's where I think the Vikings at least want to get an idea of where he's at. Because I think your alternatives are, Teddy, we're going to keep you. We're going to sign you. It's going to work. Or eh, we've got to start to look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know that, that there is a take two years incentives and, and then we'll go back on your contract. That conversation's ideal. I don't know it's realistic. Yeah. So uh, this weekend, the... The drama continues, but it's really not even drama. Like you said, it's just they're just making a choice, and this team is really good, and they have a couple options at quarterback that are interesting, and uh, we'll see what happens. Is Judd's keys ready? My part is. Is keys ready? The most important question is the producer keys. Of course. The producer is never not ready for keys. I feel like there's always a little tension between oh, there is. keys and oh, there executive is. producer. Yeah, Judd's, Judd's an ass. Not just a little tension. <laughs> there's a lot of tension. Right, Judd's keys to a Vikings win over the Rams when we come back. Mackie and
Judd now continue. We return on 1500 ESPN. Well, you hear that? Sounds like we're ready to unlock a vault of knowledge bombs. Here comes Judd Zolgad's keys. The tough opponent, the Los Angeles football Rams. And their 4-0 road record. Mm-hmm. They're averaging 40 points per game on the road. They're averaging beating their opponents in their last four overall games by 26. Oh, Margin of victory, 26. You're going where keys might be going. So I'm just uh, I'm painting a picture here before we get into Judd's five keys to a Vikings victory with executive producer Dave Harrigan. All right, Dave Harrigan. Yes. Why don't you uh, uh, set the landscape for how keys will unfold this week, since you are really in charge of the headlines now and also the sound of keys. Yeah, we've done a lot of different headlines, a lot of different audio to really pump this segment up. A lot of music. But we did one week where we didn't do music. Yeah. The leader of the free world, Donald J. Trump himself, joined us for keys. And we know he likes to insert himself places where maybe he belongs, maybe he doesn't. For instance, UCLA basketball players in China. You know, he was great to the help. He did a fantastic job. Everyone loved his help. The best job that anyone could have done. No one could have helped better. And he contacted me late last night and said, you know, I want to make the return to Keys. I heard... Keys ratings were through the roof last time I was on Keys. That's true. Everyone loved my Keys. That's true. So... We bring you Donald Trump's key number five. We have to be so strong. We have to fight so viciously. Everson Griffin is expected to return for the Vikings on Sunday, and he'll be playing, of course, his normal right-end position on the defensive line. But he will line up against none other than Andrew Whitworth, a Pro Bowl, potentially Hall of Fame left tackle in what Keyes has told me is a heavyweight, gut-busting, exciting, made-for-television, hide-the-women-children-and-dogs matchup. That's how good this is going to be. Well, hide the dogs, too. you got to hide the dogs. Stella's going to have to hide. Griffin tied for third in the league with 10 sacks. A sack, by the way, in his first eight games, a streak which he, I guess, officially can continue to nine games despite missing last week. That is going to be one of the matchups to watch on Sunday. All right, key number, uh, are, we go, are we counting down or up? Are we key number four? Yes. Okay, key number four. POTUS? Very fine people on both sides. Strength against strength, part deux, if you will. The Rams lead the National Football League with an average of 32.9 points per game. The Vikings, well, they're tied for fifth. They're only giving up an average of 18.3 points per game. The Rams have won their past four games, and they've done so by an average margin of 25.8 points. Something's got to give here, boys. Something's got to give. Will it be the Vikings' defense? Will the Rams' offense continue to assert its will? That's what we're going to find out, and that is key number four. All right, key number three, Judd's keys to a Vikings win over the Rams. The math might be a little fuzzy on this headline, but we have to go at it anyway because he's the president. I think they passed it 61 times. Oh, I still like it. (laughs) I still like it. That's very good because the Rams, with Jared Goff at quarterback, are a pass-happy team. Let me give you guys some Jared Goff knowledge that you can use later today when you're when you're sitting on your bar still trying to impress people. Jared Goff is the first player in franchise history and team history for the Rams with at least 300 yards passing, three touchdowns, and no interceptions in consecutive games. 
If he repeats that feat on Sunday, 300 passing yards, three touchdowns, and no picks for a third consecutive game, he will join only one other quarterback who has done that in the history of the National Football League. That would be the 2007 version of Tom Brady. So the president is on the right track when he talks about passing it even as many as 61 times. Wow. Uh, It is like Jared Goff in the first few games he played last year. You you have to give a quarterback time his first few games in the league, but you thought, whoa, this is, whoa, this is bad. And uh, it's amazing what coaching, a left tackle, weapons. I mean, Sammy Watkins is like, they traded for Sammy Watkins. He's like their third option. So they have this deep threat guy who can go down the field and make plays. And Tavon Austin, wasn't he a first-round pick, too? Yes. And he's about their sixth option offensively. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch. And ideally, they don't do that against the Vikings uh, this weekend. But we'll see. Key number two, Judd's keys to a Vikings win. Key number two, there's some controversy here. It's about Aaron Donald, defensive end for the Rams. Yeah. And Judd, in you uh, letting you, know, you sent me the, the, the nut graph as they would call it for this key earlier. And you gave him a bit of a nickname, I think. What did you call him? I called him Donald the Great. Donald the Great? (laughs) I would have to say there's only one Donald the Great. I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. I have the best people. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. I'm really rich. When it comes to great stakes, I've just raised the stakes. I have very powerful hands and large hands, relatively large hands. Oh, Trumpy, you got nothing on my guy, Aaron Donald. A defensive end in the Rams 3-4 defense. You want to talk about building a wall? This man will penetrate any wall that you build and get right through it. And the Vikings better watch out on Sunday. Let me give you some Aaron Donald facts to back up the fact that he is truly <laughs> Donald the Great. Is this Are these real facts or is this fake news? This is real news. This is real, real news. Everyone and- loves this news. Aaron Donald, with five sacks on the first series in each of the past two games, has had one that has led to a fumble and subsequently Los Angeles points. So he has four sacks, three forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery in the last four games. I will say that slowly again so you will get the impression of what this guy has done. Four sacks, three forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery himself in the last four games. Now, the wall that the Vikings are going to attempt to keep him out of penetrating is this. The offensive line for your Vikings has given up only 10 sacks this season. That's the second second fewest to the Saints' eight. But the Rams, as a team, are tied for fifth in the league with 28 sacks. Something has to give here. But Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald will be one of the key fixtures in this game, and that's why he's key number two. A lot Take of that, numbers Donald right Trump. there, but I, I'm tracking with you. Tracking. Take that, Donald Trump. And uh, key number one to a Vikings win over the Rams. Key number one, we go to the quarterback issues, we'll call it. Maybe not a controversy. Maybe it is with the Vikings. And the Donald seeming to echo what a certain starting quarterback would be saying. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. I've always been a leader. I've never had any problem leading people. If I say do it, they're going to do it. Oh, Trumpy, I like that. I like it. It's perfect because Case Keenum, are you a leader or not? You have not put together a complete game in at least three games. I give you the Ravens game. I give you a bad first half and a good second half. I give you the Browns game. You traveled to London, but you didn't change. Bad first half, good second half. But then you go to the nation's capital, 
You're right by Trumpy. Right by all the Trumpetonians. And you, and you take the field, and you're magnificent. You're brilliant. Phil Mackey, sitting in this very studio where we are right now, is telling his partner for event line, Mike Morris, I think this is the guy. And then, Case, you come out and you don't lead when it matters the most. Second half, you throw two horrible picks. You will be facing a Rams defense that leads the NFL with 19 takeaways, and that includes 12 interceptions. You will be facing a Rams defense that is giving up 18 points a game. That is fourth fewest in the National Football League. Case, I submit this to you as Keys wrote for me last night. This is a game for legitimate starting quarterbacks only, not for pretenders. Your move, Case Keenum. Your move. (laughs) And that concludes today's episode of Keys. Those are Judd's five keys to a Vikings victory over the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Some of Key's finest work there. It's good stuff. Good production. Uh, production's always a little better than the actual keys, but you know the keys are coming along. <laughs> I just I don't I don't understand that. I don't I don't understand that. These were the these were the greatest keys ever. I spent a lot of time on these keys. These keys led people to know what to talk about. I don't understand. The media portrays keys in a bad light. The media is out to get keys. The failing keys is going to have failing Mackie and Judge show. Keys is going to have a spokesperson, and that spokesperson is going to defend keys vehemently. The difference is the New York Times isn't failing. The Mackie and Judge show, you could argue actually is so it hits a little bit close to home uh superstar is I, I, we haven't had the curtains open or anything it's icy outside uh superstar is uh, maybe going to be a little bit late we might have to get him on the phone for the first part of his noon segment he just texted me it's <laughs> like an icy what? roads is it icy out uh, it was raining a little bit i'm well, i'm looking at 169 right now and i don't see any water on those roads well star will save you a spot and uh and you can uh, be part of judge's punishment here later on when he serves for losing the quarterback cesspool challenge from uh, last week. And also, it's a game show Friday, so uh, be listening. We have prizes to give away between now and 1 o'clock. We'll tell you how if you keep listening, Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I tune in to hear the hysteria <laughs> and the insanity. Mackie and Judd. Now we need to work on that. On 1500 ESPN. Right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player, a $25 Fandango gift card. That's thanks to Luther Brookdale Toyota. Shop where Mackie shops at Luther Brookdale Toyota. Head to 1500ESPN.com. Click on the stream player to find out how you can be a winner. All right, Phil Mackey, as a uh, as a guy who has lived uh, in downtown and that area for quite some time, I've got a question for you. Uh, Star Tribune today reporting: after fifty million dollars and twenty eight disruptive months of construction, the barriers have finally come down on Nicollet Mall. Oh, this this happened already. Nicollet Mall is going now. I believe I, what I read yesterday was I believe that the last thing to do that's not done yet is they're putting the bus shelters back on. Okay, but that's it. It's done. Besides that, my question for you is this: Is it going to come close to to having been worth it? Because everything I've seen that's been completed so far, I think was a waste of time and money. Complete um, waste of so time. So I, I, I'm. I almost need to like stroll up and down Nicollet Mall, which I guess what bothered me is they kind of promised a certain timeline, and it wound up taking what was it four years? Was it four years mm-hmm. they started doing construction? Three, it was like three years ago, maybe. A long freaking time. Yeah, that's all. I it know. killed businesses. Oh yeah, restaurants, patios, restaurants, yes. and then they wrote these little. They had these signs written up, mm-hmm. probably last summer, 
and they were making fun of the fact that, hey, tired of waiting for the construction? Well, here's a like thing you can do. It was like, okay, we don't need the just finish the construction. Well, okay? I think I think part of the problem uh, was this, and I don't think that they were forthcoming about it, and it became an issue. When they started the construction originally, which they sold as we're going to redo the mall, which they were, part of it was they had, at least at some points, to go down and dig up the old sewage system because it was so old, which made sense. But that made the entire process seem longer because if you recall, there was a time period where they dug up the sewage system, redid that, and then they put like blacktop tar down and you're like, what is this? And that was just the the holding period then until they came back and tore that up. God. So it took forever. But there's nothing I've seen that's done where I'm like, you know what, this was definitely worth the time. Yeah, I have to go and look now. I uh, I guess I've just kind of blocked that hole. I've avoided that area for the last two years. Which out is of just sad. Sheer frustration. Which is really sad be- yeah. because it, it means that, that you're not going to bars and restaurants that are pretty good bars and restaurants. The other thing that's been tough is, and this is where, you know, Mayor Betsy Hodges has taken heat for this. Nicolette Avenue and Hennepin Avenue, it feels really uncomfortable. Like there are, there's just a lot of riffraff, and there's there's like police presence on every corner. And Hennepin for I feel sure. Like every other that. night, there's a story about yep. you know assault by by fifth or shootings and different things. Yep. And so I don't know what the fix is there because like people are going to congregate where they want to congregate, and if. Like you're never gonna have, you're never gonna not have riffraff in downtown areas. But it felt pretty egregious for the last couple of years. So if you're gonna take though as long to uh, redo something as they did there, my feeling is this: when it's done, I better be wowed. And as it gets done, I better be like, this is yeah. fantastic. If it's just like, oh yeah, I mean, I've seen they've changed the sidewalks, which is fine. They planted trees in different places, which is fine. But there's nothing where I say, you know what, this was worth. This was worth a long yeah. shutdown. And as you said, a lot of of, uh, of good restaurants and businesses basically just closed up because they couldn't make it. One of my biggest pet peeves about downtown Minneapolis is in the in the blocky area. I do like that Mayo Clinic Square has taken over now, and so you've got at least you have like a solidified thing there that's not just going to open and close every six months. But when restaurants would open and then there'd be fanfare for like six months, 12 months, and then it would close. Yeah. Remember that wondrous Tom Pham's Asian kitchen? Oh, yeah. And then that guy got thrown in the, did he get arrested for tax evasion or something? I don't know what happened. And that restaurant closed and it sat there for four years. Just the the same decor. Sat sat there forever. Yes. The sign for Chevy's was there and I swear to God it was closed three and a half years before that. Yes. And so you just get these dormant restaurants and I'm, I get that rent is probably astronomical, but can we keep a restaurant open for more than five minutes? That Mason's bar, we did some Mm -hmm. opening day twins broadcast from there. Mm -hmm. Mason's bar rebranded to, I believe, bar Minneapolis, B-A-R-R-E Minneapolis. And then it just shut down after about two weeks. Oh, that's. And now that's dormant too. That's closed now? Yeah. Yeah. So can, like, can we keep a restaurant open? So I, I am curious to see what the national response is going to be for the Super Bowl, the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, when uh, you got people from out of town, you got festivities going on all over the place. Hopefully there's not a record blizzard or something. That's the worry that there's like the game will be fine because it's Royce's indoors. dream. I know you're shocked by that. Of course it is. Of course I just want it to snow 30 inches. Did he tweet week. that? Because if so, I didn't see it. 
Uh, not yet. Not yet. That one's coming from <laughs> he him. He said it on the air. Does that oh, count? Yeah. He sure. said it on Saturday Morning Sports Talk about five yeah. times so far. But do you think people are going to come in here and w- when the Super Bowl is over and yeah. you got downtown construction is mostly, yep. they're mostly done with it. Yep. Do you think people from outside are going to say, you know what? We should do that again. Like that was definitely not the warm weather climate that you usually get. Or do you think it's just a complete one-off until the next Viking stadium in 30 years? Yes. One-off? The latter. And and I will say this, and this is nothing to do with us. The Super Bowl should never go to a cold weather city. It shouldn't. It just shouldn't. The whole thing's about trying to be in Miami or Los Angeles, New Orleans. I think try I think forcing people to come to Minneapolis or Detroit in February, I so I, I, I di- wouldn't do it. I disagree a little I, I'm fine with celebrating the NFL cities and like Minneapolis is one of the Minneapolis St. Paul we're talking about a top 15 it's not it's like a very nice city. it's not like going to Jacksonville or I, something yeah i'm not saying it's not a nice city but i where i would amend what you said is i don't think you should ever hold outdoor cold weather games they got really lucky in new york mm-hmm. now it's new york and it was a new stadium and they're trying to reward the giants and the jets for building a new stadium but should they ever hold a Super Bowl in Chicago oh, no, in February would, outside or Lambeau no. Field. As fun as that might be to watch those guys run around in in a minus twenty degree setting. Yep, you have to have some conditions that at least make it a fair fight I told both you, ways. My idea: five places: a rotating New Orleans, Miami, Los Angeles. Las Vegas, perhaps now. But why would you, of all people, having lived in the Twin Cities, why would you not want a Super Bowl to be here? What do you care if people have to come and be cold if they're? I don't. But like I'm if just Roger saying, Goodell has to wear a whole, stocking cap. The whole the whole purpose of the game is to basically play in in a place where where you have a shot in February well, no, the of pur- getting a Sunday. The purpose of the game is to crown a champion of the no, NFL. No, don't. Oh, what are you? How naive are you? This game is about the Super Bowl is all about rich you, people you going warm, and sunbathing. You think warm weather is more important than crowning a Super Bowl to champion? the National Football League? Absolutely. And, and yes, I, I don't. I think crowning the champions about fifth on their list. Well, if if TV ratings are important, which they are clearly to the NFL, holding a one-off Super Bowl at Lambeau Field, this oh, novelty cold weather would actually draw a lot of interest from a TV. Now you're going to get interest regardless because it's the Super Bowl. It's the most watched sporting Can event. You imagine sending those people to Green Bay? It would be hilarious. <laughs> but they'd have to build a new stadium to to make that happen. I mean, that's what they're doing, right? You build a new stadium, you get a Super Bowl. One they've time. remodeled though. I mean, they've done construction and they've they've the place seats like seventy thousand now. I think the problem is when the owners get together to have that meeting about the Super Bowl. There's just nowhere they can go to have them. Like, there's just too many people. There's two hundred thousand owners, <laughs> so you can't. The Packers owners can't, can't agree. hold the meeting. Um, we can open up if you want to chime in. If you have thoughts on Vikings and Rams this weekend, if you have thoughts on. What people are going to say after the Super Bowl is done here? Uh, should we feel proud to celebrate? In the Twin Cities here, um, or if you have thoughts on uh, downtown construction, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. We'll get the superstar Mike Morris in here in the noon. Judd pays off a football bet and uh, a game show Friday as well.